0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the October 8th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and let's get started with our fraud report. Eighteen Southland residents are facing federal charges for their alleged involvement in schemes to submit more than $65 million in false billing to Medicare, The fraudulent billing from the Los Angeles cases is believed to be the highest amount of false Medicare billing in a single Southland takedown in the history of the federal medical fraud strike force. The Southland charges are part of a nationwide takedown by operations in seven cities that led to charges against 91 individuals for their alleged participation in schemes to collectively submit nearly $430 million in fraudulent claims. Court documents unsealed in Los Angeles reveal that four people affiliated with Alpha Ambulance Incorporated are charged with submitting more than $49 million in false claims to Medicare. The indictment alleges Alpha's owners, 55-year-old Alex Capri of Hollywood Hills, and 31-year-old Alesky Muradov of Burbank, along with several employees, submitted claims for medically unnecessary transportation services and then created fake documentation to support those claims. In three other cases, people associated with four medical equipment companies, Bonfi Medical Supplies, Ibon Incorporated, Fendi Medical Supplies, Inc., and Latunis Medical Equipment, Inc., are charged with submitting fraudulent claims to Medicare. The doctors and patient recruiters are charged with conspiring to provide bogus prescriptions, which were allegedly used to submit more than $12.3 million in fraudulent claims to Medicare for the recruited patients. In another case, Victoria Anyabor, 52, and her husband, Goodwin Anyabor, 49, both of Ontario, owners of Fendi Medical Supplies in San Bernardino, were charged with conspiring with others to commit health care fraud. 36-year-old Tigran Alkayan of Van Nuys was arrested on charges that he caused the San Gabriel Medical Supply Company he owned, lost Tunis Medical Equipment, to submit more than $900,000 in phony billings to Medicare, primarily for medically unnecessary power wheelchairs. In a separate case, 44-year-old Freddie Choi of Westlake, co-owner of the California Neurorehabilitation Physical Therapy Clinic, was charged with submitting more than $2 million in fraudulent claims to Medicare. Choi allegedly submitted bills for physical therapy when, in fact, the services, to the extent they were rendered at all, were massage and acupuncture that Medicare does not cover. A second person charged in that case, 54-year-old Wan Suk Lee, most recently of Murrieta and currently a fugitive, performed some of the treatments even though he is not licensed to perform physical therapy. Finally, in a sixth case, 58-year-old Vivian Neri of Baldwin Park was charged with soliciting home health referrals in exchange for kickbacks. NERI is allegedly associated with at least $40,000 in home health services claims submitted to Medicare. Drug companies paid more than $30 billion to settle 239 cases of alleged fraud against government health care programs between 1991 and July 2012, according to an analysis published by Public Citizen, a consumer advocacy organization. The report says big pharmaceutical companies like GlaxoSmithKline, Johnson & Johnson, and Abbott Laboratories were accused during that period of a variety of unlawful schemes, such as overcharging the government and marketing their products to doctors for uses not approved by the Food and Drug Administration. During the 20 months between November 2010 and July 2012, Drug makers settled 74 fraud cases with the federal government or states for a combined $10.2 billion. $3 billion came from just one deal announced in July between GlaxoSmithKline and the U.S. Justice Department. Bloomberg News claims that while the dollar amounts may seem staggering, they're meager relative to pharmaceutical company profits. GlaxoSmithKline paid out $75 billion to resolve 20 fraud accusations since 1991, representing almost one quarter of the total amount recouped by the government. But the company made $8.4 billion in profits in 2011 alone, or nearly $1 billion more than it's paid the federal and state governments over a 21 year period. More than Two decades' worth of payouts by drug makers were worth less than two-thirds of the profits earned by the ten biggest drug makers in 2010. In 2010, the Obama administration announced plans to more aggressively use its authority to penalize drug company executives when firms were accused of defrauding government health care programs. Eight people have been cited and two others are under further investigation after the Contractor State License Board's latest sting, this one in Clovis. The Statewide Investigative Fraud Team, or SWIFT team, with assistance from the Clovis Police Department and the Department of Insurance conducted the sting last week at a house in Clovis. The SWIFT team used advertisements from local newspapers, Craigslist, and internal referrals to schedule home improvement bids for painting, landscaping, concrete, and fence work. Under state law, all home improvement jobs valued at $500 or more must be conducted by a company or person with a contractor license issued by the Contractor State License Board. Five of the unlicensed contractors also were issued stop orders for failure to carry workers' comp insurance. The License Board investigators can halt job site activity when any person with or without a contractor's license does not have workers' comp insurance coverage for employees. And yet another case, a Bakersfield father and daughter were ordered to repay over $600,000 in restitution. 69-year-old Jerry Buffington and his 47-year-old daughter, Cynthia Russell, have pled guilty in Kern County Superior Court to one count of workers' compensation insurance premium fraud and eight counts of tax evasion. Buffington and Russell were ordered to pay almost $500,000 in restitution to the state compensation insurance fund and nearly $130,000 to the Employment Development Department. Both have been ordered to serve 10 years probation. According to detectives from the California Department of Insurance Fraud Division, Buffington was the owner and president of Safe Home Incorporated. Buffington's daughter, Cynthia Russell, was the chief financial officer for the business. Their guilty pleas are a result of an investigation led by the California Department of Insurance Fraud Division while working with the San Joaquin Valley Premium Fraud Task Force, which is a coalition of multiple agencies working together to investigate workers' compensation and insurance premium fraud and tax evasion cases. The coalition consists of district attorney's offices from the counties of Kern, Fresno, Tulare, Kings, and Merced. The California Department of Insurance Fraud Division, EDD Investigations Division, and the National Insurance Crime Bureau Bureau are also in the coalition. Back in 2007, the state fund discovered Safe Home Incorporated was underreporting their employee payroll in order to avoid paying the proper premium. Additionally, the fund determined... That the business was operating out of its classification, which was registered as an alarm company, yet several employees were operating as roofers. The payroll related to the roofing portion of the business was never reported to either the state fund or the EDD. And in regulatory news, Governor Jerry Brown has vetoed legislation that would have made it easier for domestic workers to qualify for workers' comp benefits. AB 889 would have eliminated a requirement that domestic workers must put in at least 52 hours and earn more than $100 in the 90 days preceding the date of an injury to be eligible for work comp coverage. Governor Brown said in his veto statement that the legislation raised questions about the financial impact on the disabled and elderly who rely on domestic workers. He said that while domestic workers deserve fair pay and safe working conditions, the legislation raised questions such as how the state would enforce the law and whether it would reduce available jobs for domestic workers. And Governor Brown also vetoed two farm worker heat safety bills. The governor vetoed Assembly Bill 2346 and Assembly Bill 2676. In his veto messages for two bills, Brown noted steadily increasing compliance with existing heat safety standards for agricultural and other outdoor industries. California Farm Bureau Federation President Paul Wenger said today the state's farmers and ranchers will continue their efforts to assure employee safety on hot days. Wenger said the state's farmers and ranchers have led California and the nation in addressing and preventing heat illness Wenger thanked Governor Brown for recognizing the heat illness prevention efforts of farmers, ranchers, agricultural organizations, and Cal OSHA. He said that during the past decade, tens of thousands of farmers, farm labor contractors, and employees have been trained to understand heat illness and how to keep employees safe while working outside. Farm Bureau and other agricultural organizations had encouraged the governor to veto both bills, saying they would have placed nearly impossible new rules on farmers. And now our medical report. A new report published by the Workers' Compensation Research Institute says that too many injured workers remain on opioids three to six months after their injury. The report also found that drug testing and psychological evaluations to measures designed to reduce abuse of the drugs were not being done most of the time. The study, which looked at 300,000 workers' compensation claims in 21 states, including California, highlights how doctors often do not follow treatment recommendations for long-term monitoring of injured workers who receive opioid pain medications. The study comes at a time when doctors and regulators are reassessing the use of narcotic painkillers as a long-term treatment for chronic pain. Mark Sullivan, a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the University of Washington in Seattle, said that implementation of the recommendations for opioid therapy among primary care doctors is very spotty. Sullivan said it is difficult to implement drug testing and psychological evaluation safeguards in a busy primary care practice unless doctors are given support from their clinics. The study also highlights a serious problem with long-term use of opioids to treat chronic pain. Often the drugs do not help in improving pain or day-to-day function. Long-term, yet patients stay on the drugs. Too often workers say their pain is improved, but they show no improvement in performing the activities of daily living or returning to work. The experts concluded that if opioids aren't providing functional improvement, then they are providing more harm than good. And in financial news, officials at the Los Angeles Police Department are questioning their high work comp costs. Los Angeles spends more each year on workers' compensation costs than for the police department than it does for all other claims, including for use of force and car accidents. And the city's newest police commissioner members want to change that. Commissioner Rafael Bernardino says that workers' compensation costs $65 million last year presents a challenge officials have been trying to deal with for four years. All other LAPD liability cases, such as use of force and traffic accidents, average $40 million a year, officials said. In taking on the risk issue, Bernardino is moving cautiously as he tries to gather information on the extent of the problem. LAPD workers file an average of 250 claims a month. Bernardino said his goal is to reduce the cost to the city, which would make more money available for policing and other programs. Councilman Dennis Zine, a former police officer and chairman of the audits and government efficiency committee, said he has been pressing the LAPD for years to be more proactive on liability cases and workers' compensation. Councilman Mitch Englender, chairman of the Public Safety Committee and Reserve LAPD officer, said he is prepared to help Bernardino. Tyler Eisen, president of the Los Angeles Police Protective League, said one of the biggest complaints he receives is the amount of time it takes to get medical treatment. And now, our regulatory news. The DWC Medical Evidence Evaluation Advisory Committee has been formed and will begin establishing the framework for updating California's medical treatment guidelines. The first meeting is set for November 15th. This advisory committee meets four times a year under the guidance of the DWC Executive Medical Director and uses the hierarchy of evidence set forth in the division's medical treatment utilization schedule to evaluate medical evidence and recommend revisions to existing guidelines or to develop new ones. Nominations for the committee were opened on August 6, 2012, and the appointees represent a range of specialties. Each member of the committee will serve a term of two years and remain in the position until a successor is selected. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.